Book Three, Chapter Seven of On the Education of an Orator by Quintilian, translated by H. E. Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. I will begin with the class of causes which are concerned with praise and blame. This class appears to have been entirely divorced by Aristotle, and following him by Theophrastus from the principal side of oratory, which they call pragmatique, and to have been reserved solely for the delectation of audiences, which indeed is shown to be its peculiar function by its name, which implies display. Roman usage, on the other hand, has given it a place in the practical tasks of life, for funeral orations are often imposed as a duty on persons holding public office, or entrusted to magistrates by decree of the Senate. Again, the award of praise or blame to a witness may carry weight in the courts, while it is also a recognized practice to produce persons to praise the character of the accused. Further, the published speeches of Cicero, directed against his rivals in the election to the consulship, and against Lucius Piso, Claudius, and Curio, are full of denunciation, and were, notwithstanding, delivered in the Senate as formal expressions of opinion in the course of debate. I do not deny that some compositions of this kind are composed solely with a view to display, as for instance, panegyrics of gods and heroes of the past, a consideration which provides the solution of a question which I discussed a little while back, and proves that those are wrong who hold that an orator will never speak on a subject unless it involves some problem. But what problem is involved by the praise of Jupiter Capitolinus, a stock theme of the sacred Capitoline contest, which is undoubtedly treated in regular rhetorical form? However, just as panegyric applied to practical matters requires proof, so too a certain semblance of proof is at times required by speeches composed entirely for display. For instance, a speaker who tells how Romulus was the son of Mars and reared by the she-wolf will offer as proofs of his divine origin the facts that, when thrown into a running stream, he escaped drowning, that all his achievements were such as to make it credible that he was the offspring of the god of battles and that his contemporaries unquestionably believed that he was translated to heaven. Some arguments will even wear a certain semblance of defense. For example, if the orator is speaking in praise of Hercules, he will find excuses for his hero having changed raiment with the queen of Lydia, and submitted to the tasks which legend tells us she imposed upon him. The proper function, however, of panegyric is to amplify and embellish its themes. This form of oratory is directed, in the main, to the praise of gods and men, but may occasionally be applied to the praise of animals, or even of inanimate objects. In praising the gods, our first step will be to express our veneration of the majesty of their nature in general terms. Next, we shall proceed to praise the special power of the individual god and the discoveries whereby he has benefited the human race. For example, in the case of Jupiter, he shall extol his power as manifested in the governance of all things. With Mars, we shall praise his power in war. With Neptune, his power over the sea. As regards inventions, we shall celebrate Minerva's discovery of the arts. 
Mercury's discovery of letters, Apollo's of medicine, Ceres of the fruits of the earth, Bacchus of wine. Next, we must record their exploits as handed down from antiquity. Even gods may derive honor from their descent, as for instance is the case with the sons of Jupiter, or from their antiquity, as in the case of the children of Chaos, or from their offspring, as in the case of Latona, the mother of Apollo and Diana. Some again may be praised because they were born immortal, others because they won immortality by their valor, a theme which the piety of our sovereign has made the glory even of these present times. There is greater variety required in the praise of men. In the first place, there is a distinction to be made, as regards time between the period in which the objects of our praise lived and the time preceding their birth. And further, in the case of the dead, we must also distinguish the period following their death. With regard to things preceding a man's birth, there are his country, his parents, and his ancestors, a theme which may be handled in two ways. For either it will be creditable to the object of our praise not to have fallen short of their fair fame of their country and of their sires, or to have ennobled the humble origin by the glory of their achievements. Other topics to be drawn from the period preceding their birth will have reference to omens or prophecies foretelling their future greatness, such as the oracle which is said to have foretold that the son of Thetis would be greater than his father. The praise of the individual himself will be based on his character, his physical endowments, and external circumstances. Physical and accidental advantages provide a comparatively unimportant theme, which requires variety of treatment. At time, for instance, we extol beauty and strength in honorific terms, as Homer does in the case of Agamemnon and Achilles. At times, again, weakness may contribute largely to our admiration, as when Homer says that Tydeus was small of stature, but a good fighter. Fortune, too, may comfort dignity, as in the case of kings and princes, for they have a fairer fuel for the display of their excellences. But, on the other hand, the glory of good deeds may be enhanced by the smallness of their resources. Moreover, the praise awarded to external and accidental advantages is given not to their possession, but to their honorable employment. For wealth and power and influence, since they are the sources of strength, are the surest test of character for good or evil. They make us better or they make us worse. Praise awarded to character is always just, but may be given in various ways. It has sometimes proved the more effective course to trace a man's life and deeds in due chronological order, praising his natural gifts as a child, then his progress at school, and finally the whole course of his life, including words as well as deeds. At times, on the other hand, it is well to divide our praises, dealing separately with the various virtues, fortitude, justice, self-control, and the rest of them, and to assign to each virtue the deeds performed under its influence. We shall have to decide which of these two methods will be the more serviceable, according to the nature of the subject, but we must bear in mind the fact that what most pleases an audience is the celebration of the deeds which our hero was the first or only man 
or at any rate one of the very few to perform and to these we must add any other achievements which surpassed hope or expectation emphasizing what was done for the sake of julius rather than what he performed on his own behalf it is not always possible to deal with the time subsequent to our hero's death this is due not merely to the fact that we sometimes praise him while still alive but also that there are but few occasions when we have a chance to celebrate the award of divine honors posthumous votes of thanks or statues erected at the public expense among such themes of panegyric i would mention monuments of genius that have stood the test of time for some great men like menander have received ampler justice from the verdict of posterity than from that of their own age children reflect glory on their parents cities on their founders laws on those who made them arts on their inventors and institutions on those that first introduced them for instance numa first laid down rules for the worship of the gods and publicola first ordered that the lictor's rods should be lowered in salutation to the people the same method will be applied to denunciations as well but with a view to opposite effects for humble origin has been a reproach to many while in some cases distinction has merely served to increase the notoriety and unpopularity of vices in regard to some persons as in the story of paris it has been predicted that they would be the cause of destruction to many some like thersitis and iris have been despised for their poverty and mean appearance others have been loathed because their natural advantages were nullified by their vices poets for instance tell us that nireus was a coward and placenes a debauche the mind too has as many vices as virtues and vice may be denounced as virtue may be praised in two different ways some have been branded with infamy after death like melius whose house was leveled with the ground or marcus manlius whose first name was banished from his family for all generations to come the vices of the children bring hatred on their parents founders of cities are detested for concentrating a race which is a curse to others as for example the founder of the jewish superstition the laws of gracchus are hated and we abhor any loathsome example of vice that has been handed down to posterity such as the criminal form of lust which a persian is said to have been the first to practice on a woman of samas and even in the case of the living the judgment of mankind serves as a proof of their character and the fairness or foulness of their fame proves the orator's praise or blame to be true aristotle however thinks that the place and subject of panegyrics or denunciations make a very considerable difference for much depends on the character of the audience and the generally received opinion if they are to believe that the virtues of which they approve are pre-eminently characteristic of the person praised and the vices which they hate of the person denounced for there can be little doubt as to the attitude of the audience if that attitude is already determined prior to the delivery of the speech it will be wise too for him to insert some words of praise for his audience since this will secure their goodwill and wherever it is possible this should be done in such a manner as to advance his case literature 
will win less praise at Sparta than at Athens, endurance and courage more. Among some races the life of a freebooter is accounted honorable, while others regard it as a duty to respect the laws. Frugality might perhaps be unpopular with the Sybarites, whilst luxury was regarded as crime by the ancient Romans. Similar differences of opinion are found in individuals. A judge is most favorable to the orator whose views he thinks identical with his own. Aristotle also urges a point, which at a later date Cornelius Celsus emphasized almost to excess, to the effect that, since the boundary between vice and virtue is often ill-defined, it is desirable to use words that swerve a little from the actual truth, calling a rash man brave, a prodigal generous, a mean man thrifty, or the process may, if necessary, be reversed. But this the ideal orator, that is to say, a good man, will never do, unless, perhaps, he is led to do so by consideration for the public interest. Cities are praised after the same fashion as men, the founder takes the place of the parent, and antiquity carries great authority, as for instance in the case of those whose inhabitants are said to be sprung from the soil. The virtues and vices revealed by their deeds are the same as in private individuals. The advantages arising from site or fortifications are, however, peculiar to cities. Their citizens enhance their fame, just as children bring honor to their parents. Praise, too, may be awarded to public works, in connection with which their magnificence, utility, beauty, and the architect or artist must be given due consideration. Temples, for instance, will be praised for their magnificence, walls for their utility, and both for their beauty or the skill of the architect. Places may also be praised. Witness the praise of Sicily in Cicero. In such cases we consider their beauty and utility, Beauty calls for notice in places by the sea, in open plains and pleasant situations, utility in healthy or fertile localities. Again, praise in general terms may be awarded to noble sayings or deeds. Finally, things of every kind may be praised. Panegyrics have been composed on sleep and death, and physicians have written eulogies on certain kinds of food. While therefore I do not agree that panegyric concerns only questions regarding what is honorable, I do think that it comes, as a rule, under the heading of quality, although all three bases may be involved in panegyric, as it was observed by Cicero, that all were actually used by Gaius Caesar in his denunciation of Cato. But panegyric is akin to deliberative oratory, inasmuch as the same things are usually praised in the former as are advised in the letter. End of chapter 7